0: This national organization has uh, recognized that pornography has such a terrible effect on people's Christian lives and is so rampant among Christianity that they've chosen Super Bowl Sunday uh, to be a Sunday in which churches across the country focus on this issue. And they recruited a number of NFL players and former NFL players who were brave enough uh, to come out and admit that this is a problem that they've struggled with. Well, interestingly enough, I didn't find out that uh, this was going on, this event and thing, until Thursday. But on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday or Monday, God had been impressing on my heart that we needed to change our preaching schedule, uh, that there was one more thing from John 8 that we really needed to talk about. And so uh, I made a shift. And the thing that God had impressed on my heart is is that there are lots of areas in our Christian lives in which uh, we end up living out destructive patterns of behavior. Not just in pornography, it can be in all sorts of different areas. And so God was saying, look, you need to spend some time thinking about this and talking about this. And so we made that change uh, and then we saw that this was something that a number of churches around the country were thinking about. And so this morning we want to talk together about the fact that as Christians, even though we're believers in Jesus, we can find ourselves engaged in patterns of behavior Uh, that are ongoing, that are destructive, that seem to have ownership over us. Listen to this description that is given in our Bible. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Can you resonate with that? Do you know what that's like to have this thing in your life? Whatever it may be, maybe it's anger. Maybe you are prone to giving, uh, uh, giving outbursts of anger, whether it's at work or at home, or maybe even with your friends, and you know this isn't right in the moment that you've finished with your outburst of anger. You know that it's wrong and you wish you hadn't done it, but you seem unable to stop yourself the good that you want to do you're unable to do and this thing this anger that is burning within you that you hate it seems to have mastery over you and you continue to do it and you know the destruction that it's causing you can see what it's doing but it's like watching your life in third-person a train wreck that's happening and there's nothing that you can do to stop it maybe it's not anger maybe it's impatience maybe it's materialistic greed Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe it is pornography. It just seems that our Christian lives at times can fall into these destructive patterns. And even though we're believers in Jesus and even though we know better, this seems to be a description of who we are and what we're going through. The things that we don't want to do, we keep doing. And it seems to be in many of our lives that there's this one area that we seem to give in repeatedly. To the power of sin why is that well that's what i want to spend some time talking about this morning and not only do i want to talk about why is it that we can experience this in our christian lives but how can we experience freedom from that how can we experience freedom from these kinds of things if you have your bible would you turn to the book of john chapter 8 John chapter 8, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you in the rack or underneath your seat if you're sitting in the balcony, and in those Bibles it's page 758. John chapter 8, now if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at John 8, and there we talked about how what it spells out is a pattern of behavior, lies, sin, death, jesus is trying to say if you want out of that pattern you gotta understand truth and truth is what keeps you from going into that pattern of behavior well there's one truth that jesus reveals in john chapter 8 that is especially poignant and important for the subject we want to talk about this morning the ideas of these patterns or cycles of behavior that we as christians can engage in that are destructive and that are sinful but yet we seem to be helpless in the face of and so we want to take a break from Uh, going forward in the Gospel of John and come back to John 8 and look at one verse together and really try to understand what it is that Jesus is saying in this verse and my prayer is is that the truth of God's Word would shine its light into this area these areas of cycles of destructive behavior so that we might understand and experience freedom look in verse number 34 of John chapter 8 Jesus replied I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So the reason why we as Christians can find ourselves in situations where we seem helpless except to obey these sinful desires where we can find ourselves where we're constantly giving in to our anger, or giving in to lust, or to greed, or to selfishness, or to pride, or to whatever it might be, is because Jesus is saying sin is addictive. Sin's addictive. It has inherent within it an enslaving capability. It has the power to make people slaves. Notice Jesus doesn't say certain kinds of sins have this power he doesn't say it's only alcoholism or drugs or gluttony he says everyone who sins is a slave to sin sin itself is addictive not just certain kinds of sins but sin itself has the power to enslave Now, Jesus is drawing on a very ancient truth, one that was first introduced in Genesis chapter 4. There, there's the story of Cain and Abel. You probably are familiar with the story. Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God, but for whatever reason, perhaps their attitude of their heart, Cain's offering is not acceptable to the Lord, but Abel's is. Well, Cain looks at his brother and something stirs in his heart. He becomes angry. He becomes upset. And instead of correcting his own behavior, he wants to take it out on his brother. And he begins to formulate in his mind activity that is not in line with what God would want. And so at that moment, God appears to Cain and he has this conversation with him. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Look, if you do the right thing, everything's going to work out fine but notice what he says here this is god talking to cain but if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at your door its desire is to have you but you must master it sin is crouching at your door its desire is to have you see here god is not painting sin as this breaking of rules or disobeying sin is this power this force this thing that has an animal lust for cain it wants to own him it wants to possess him it's bigger than cain is it's stronger than cain is and god's saying look if you open the door to this thing it will master you sin's not simply the breaking of rules or choosing to disobey god says sin has the power to enslave. It can own you. Sin is addictive. David says something similar in Psalm 19, verse 13. He says, Lord, keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. See, David acknowledges that the willful choice to sin is opening a door, opening a door to a monster a monster that can come into your life and possess us and own us and command us seemingly to do stuff that we don't want to do. It's inherent within sin. Not certain kinds of sin, but sin itself. You say, but that's not true for Christians, is it? Isn't that only true for non-Christians that they can be enslaved to sin? Well, look in John chapter 8, verse 31, and see exactly who it is that Jesus is talking to when he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. To the Jews who what? Had believed in him. That's who he says it to. To the Jews who had believed in him. And David, wasn't David a man after God's own heart? Wasn't he part of the people of God? He's the one who says, even though he's a man after God's own heart, please don't let sin rule over me. Now we say, but he wasn't indwelled with the Spirit the way we are. He lived before the giving of the fullness of the Spirit like we enjoy. That's true. But the passage that I read earlier at the beginning of the sermon about doing what we don't want to do, that comes out of Romans 7 and although Paul is not describing his typical life as an apostle he's not talking about his daily life he is saying that that is an experience that many Christians do have that many Christians wake up in a life whereby they're doing the things they hate to do Romans 7 is written to Christians and it's acknowledging that sin still has the power to enslave it has the ability to own us, even as believers. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he did not rob sin of its power to enslave. He set us free, but he didn't stop sin from having enslaving power. That's why Jesus' statement, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, is still true. It's still true today as when he uttered it. And it's still true for you, you and I who are here, who are believers in Jesus. Now, how is it that sin comes to master us? As Christians, how is it that sin can come into our life and begin to own us? How is it that we can become captive to our own lust, or our own greed, or our own pride, or our own selfishness? How is it that we can give way to the sin? in order to understand this we need to look in romans chapter 6 so if you have would you t- your bible turn over to romans 6 which is page 799 we need to understand the mechanism by which christians can become effectively re-enslaved to sin so that we might understand how it is that we can experience freedom from sin's enslaving power romans chapter 6 Look in verses 15 and 16. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. In Romans 6, Paul is talking to Christians. He's saying it's possible for Christians to effectively be reenslaved to sin. Now, the key to understanding how that happens is recognizing what exactly Paul's asking in verse 15. We might read where he says, shall we sin and think he's talking about, shall we continue in sin? Shall we live a lifetime of sin? That if we live a lifetime or a a lifestyle of sin, then we will effectively be re-enslaved to sin. But that's not actually what he's saying in verse 15. The Greek behind that verse is actually asking this question. If God's going to forgive us, because he's a gracious God, why not go ahead and commit one sin? The idea that we should not live a lifestyle of sin, that's true. Paul deals with that, though, in the first half of chapter 6. Now the question in verse 15 is, is okay, if we're not going to live a lifestyle of sin, why not just go ahead and commit one sin? Why not go ahead and make one sinful, willful choice? Just one. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever had that voice in your head that says, go ahead, you can... You can fudge on your taxes this year. It's just one time. God will forgive you. Or find yourself in the middle of a difficult marriage and begin to contemplate the idea, well, if I went ahead and got divorced, God would still forgive me for it. It's just one thing. It's just one sin. I'm thinking to yourself, when that craving or that desire to binge eat comes on you, you think, if I give into it, it's just... One sin, God will forgive me. He's gracious, he's kind. When that link appears on your computer and that desire to follow it, often in our heads we can say, it's just one sin. If I give in this one time, God's going to forgive me. He's a gracious and kind God. This is a very real question Paul's asking. Why not do that? Why not just give in just that one time? Well, the answer is, verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Why don't you want to give in just one time? Because all it takes is one time for you to become an addict. All it takes is one time for you to be enslaved. This is what he's saying. Satan wants us to think it doesn't work like this. He wants us to think, no, 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 no. If you follow that link, it's going to take hundreds of times or thousands of times before you're an addict that's not true Paul says it happens the very first time you do it it may take years to realize that you're addicted but sins enslaving addictive power is activated the first time you do it after all how many times did Cain kill Abel just one time God's warning him look just that one choice and sin will come racing into your life and master you. Just one time and sin will own you. That's what Paul's saying. Why don't you want to sin just one time? Because that's all it takes. Then you've opened the door. And that beast comes into your life and begins to own you, even as a Christian. Remember, Paul's writing to Christians. This is why a Christian doesn't want to do this. Have you ever noticed that It's easier to sin the second time than it is the first. Why? Because with that very first time, you open the door. Sin's beginning to exercise power in your life. That's why it's easier the second time than it is the first. This is why, say, for example, you're a middle school student here, and tomorrow you're headed back to school, and you got an exam, and maybe you didn't prepare as much as you should have. Maybe you stayed up and watched the Super Bowl, and you didn't study like you should have. And a friend offers to let you cheat off her exam. You might think to yourself, well, it's just one time. God's going to forgive me for this. It's not like I'm a habitual cheater. Paul's warning is, is look, hey, he doesn't say, well, you might get caught. That is true, but you also might not get caught. But what will happen, he says, you'll open the door. And once you willingly offer yourself to that kind of mindset, sin comes in your life and begins to dominate you begins to order you around and tell you what to do. See, all it takes is one choice. One choice. Satan desperately does not want us to understand this. He wants us to think, no, it's hundreds of choices. Or no, you're not susceptible to addiction. You can't be enslaved. That kind of sin is not enslaving. Jesus says, all sin enslaves. And all it takes to activate sin's enslaving power is one willful choice to do it. Well, if that's how we can be enslaved to sin, what hope is there? How do you get out of this? If you find yourself in a situation where, whether it's pornography or impatience or gluttony or pride or whatever it might be, outbursts of anger, and you find yourself saying, yeah, that is my, that's me. I'm effectively re-enslaved. Sin keeps telling me what to do. How do you get out? Well, the good news is, Romans 6 continues, so look with me in verses 17 through 19. But thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Wholeheartedly. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms meaning using slavery language, because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. See, the importance of understanding how we got in is that it's actually the key To how you get out how did we get in one choice to willfully disobey God how do you get out one choice to willfully obey God one choice one choice gets you in one choice gets you out this is the beauty of what Christ has done for us the same is not true for non-christian but for a Christian, Christ has given us the ability to choose righteousness. That's what he's done for us. He's not robbed sin of its enslaving power so that when we of our own free will choose to sin, we are giving sin the right to tell us what to do. But sin doesn't inherently have that right. And so when we choose not sin in that area. We're free. See, this is the lie that Satan keeps trying to tell us. See, he gets us going in and coming out. He lies to us on the way in, telling us, no, 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 it's more than once. It would take hundreds of times or thousands of times before you could become enslaved or addicted. The lie is it only takes one time. But then once you're in, He tells you the same lie trying to get out. No, 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 you can't get out that easily. It would take hundreds of times or thousands of times. It would take years. You can't do it. You're not strong enough. You don't have it in you. Everybody's addicted. Everybody gives into this kind of stuff. It's the same lie going in as it is coming out. The truth of God's word says one time in, one time out. If you choose today to not give in to sin, you're free. You're free from sin's enslaving power. That's the joy of being a Christian. It's not that sin no longer has the ability to enslave. We have to wait for heaven for that. We have to wait until our flesh has been transformed. But until that time, the good news of what Jesus has provided is is that all you got to do is make one decision. One decision got you in. One decision will get you out. How would this work? Well, imagine that today you're going to go shopping in the mall after church and imagine that what you struggle with is perhaps not pornography, but maybe it's materialism. Maybe you are an impulse buyer and you like to purchase things that you don't have the money to pay for. And suppose you have a weakness for kitchen gadgets and you're in the mall walking by William Sonoma and you see something that you have been longing to have you know you don't have the money to pay for it and that little voice inside your head says it's okay go ahead it's just one time you'll be forgiven for it if today you choose to say no you're out sin doesn't have power over you you're out it doesn't have the ability to control you one choice out you immediately move from being an impulse buyer to being a wise steward if tomorrow you make the same choice you continue to take steps on the path of being a wise steward imagine an entire week goes by and you go back to the mall next week and you're walking by williams sonoma and now it's on sale But still, you don't have the money to afford it. What Satan's going to tell you is, is, go ahead, you've been good. You got seven days in the bank. You're making good progress. If you gave in, it would just be a little bit of a setback. You'd lose one day. That's a lie. What would happen is if you give in, you immediately switch back to being an impulse buyer. You nullify all the progress that you've made. Those seven days are now gone. See, it's one choice in, one choice out. This is how it works. Satan doesn't want us to understand this. We do understand it, though, when it comes to alcohol, don't we? That if you've been free from alcoholism, how many bad days do you have to have to be back in? Just one. the point is is that we've discovered it with alcohol the bible says it's actually true for all sin not just that one this is how sin works is that if you willingly give yourself to sin it will own you but if you choose not to then you're free i have a friend who came to see me about internet pornography and the difficulties that he was going through exactly 596 days ago today. The reason that we remember that number is the same reason why an alcoholic could tell you the last time they took a drink. is because he came to see me and we talked together about this struggle. And we looked at Genesis four and John eight and Romans chapter six and began to work through what it is that Jesus is actually saying. That it's the lie that comes from Satan that says you can't be addicted, you can't be enslaved. It'll take a few hundred times or a few thousand times or at least a few more times than you're currently doing. And to explain to him, no, 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 that very first time you opened the door and sin began to own you. It was that dominating monster. And in his life, he said, I don't want that monster dominating my life anymore. It is a fierce taskmaster. I I don't want it telling me what to do. I don't want it robbing my life of joy I don't want it endangering my kids or my family or my job or my health I want out and we walk through the truth of the fact that all it takes is one decision and five hundred and ninety six days ago he made that first decision and on that day he was free and the reason I know it's five hundred ninety six days is because when I see him he tells me <laughs> and it's a way of reminding him and me make one bad choice today it's all gone all that progress is gone and that's incentive he doesn't want to go back into that I don't want to go back into that kinda stuff and we're reminded one choice and you're back in that's what Satan doesn't want us to know he doesn't want us to know it's one choice in one choice out but what Jesus is saying is look I died to make that possible I made it die all non-Christians and Christians one choice and you're in But the good news about being a believer in Jesus is he's opened up a door that it's just one choice and you're out. The reason it feels like sin gets more and more enslaving the more and more we participate is because the lie gets thicker and thicker. The more we do it, the less we believe that it's one choice and we're out. The more we do it, the more confident we become that we'll never get free but notice Jesus says this doesn't have anything to do with how often, how long, what the sin is, nothing. What he's saying is what I have won for you on the cross is that no matter how long you've been in, one choice and you're out. One choice and I will set you free. You continue to make that choice, you will continue to be free. You stop making that choice, you'll go right back in. See in John chapter 8, After Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He says, but if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He's made it possible for us to be free. And whatever it is, whatever the sin is that owns you today, whether it's pornography, whether it's greed, whether it's impatience, whether it's anger, whether it's gluttony, whatever it might be, Jesus is saying, I died on that cross so that you can be free. And all you got to do is make the choice to be free. I say this to you because I know the power of enslaving sin. When Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, he's talking from experience. It's not his daily experience, but he knows from experience what that's like. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to have that be your life. I know from experience what it's like, and I know from experience what it means to be free. It all starts with that one choice. And my encouragement and urge to you is. Maybe you need somebody. I'd be glad to help you. You want to come tell me every day how many days it's been? I'd be glad to listen. Whatever it is you need, we want to help you get out of it. Because Jesus died so that you might be free. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the freedom you've given us through your death and resurrection that we might experience new life. I pray right now, Lord, there are some people here today who have some temptation in their life. Maybe it's to go through a divorce. Maybe it's to give in to lust. Maybe it's to pursue some materialistic thing they should not be pursuing. Lord, right now, Satan has been trying to lie to them, telling them it's just one choice. Help them to understand it's never one choice. Please don't let them open the door to sin. Please do not let willful sins rule over them. God, help them to be wise and to listen and to know that this pit is a bad pit to be in. Jesus, I also pray because there are some people here who are tired of living in the pit. They're tired of their daily experiencing experience being such that they keep doing what they hate to do. Lord, we know we're never going to be free from temptation. We know that we're never going to be free from struggle, that we're never going to be perfect but we can experience freedom from the power of sin enslaving us. And God, I pray right now that there might be someone who's listening who will say, I want to be free. And that you would clear away the lies that are cluttering their mind and they might know that through you they can have freedom. Thank you for winning freedom for us. We praise your name forever and ever. Amen.